0: podcast, a show where we discuss and learn about quality craft beer in all of its forms. From our home base in southeastern Massachusetts, we explore all the various styles being brought to us by our local brewers and breweries throughout Massachusetts and all of them. Sit back, crack a brew, and enjoy. Welcome to episode 13, where we sit down with Kenny Semkin of Second Wind Brewing down in uh, historic downtown Plymouth. I'm sure a lot of you have been there. Popular place. They have a, a tap room in our, our beer garden opened up in May of 2018. Uh, and uh, they're now they're currently building out a new facility on Main Street right in the downtown area of Plymouth. Nice location. They're going to uh, hopefully, you know, sometime in 2020. Bigger tap room, kitchen. Um, they're currently brewing in a small place on Holland Street, right around the corner there. Doing some remarkable things. They are known for wide portfolio, diverse range of beers. They do everything: the hoppy IPAs and good stouts, fruited sours, traditional European American ales. Lots of good stuff. Check them out: SecondWindBrewing.com. Uh, learn more about them. You know, three three good guys that are really uh, kind of pushing the boundaries and doing some cool things down there in uh, Plymouth. So, you know, this is a three-part podcast. We have Kenny on for for quite a bit. This first part deals with the origin story of Second Wind. These guys go from a, uh, you know, five brewing five-gallon batches all the way up to opening their own tap room in two locations now. Their relationship with the town of Plymouth, which is a very traditional old old school, uh, as as old as you can get, you know, yet a, a, a town that has a kind of a thriving tourism aspect to it. So, kind of a neat place in that you have the the old and the new all constantly being mixed up. You know, dealing with the small space uh, and the issues behind that, talk about the, you know, all that cooperation that happens between other brewers in the area, particularly um, Mayflower, Independent Fermentations, Widowmaker, Untold. These guys all work together and they're great friends and uh, it's really kind of a cool thing and really showcases the remarkable relationship between these guys and how they support each other. And, you know, it's really kind of a neat thing definitely on display i've been mean, talking to kenny talk about the origin of the dad bod cream ale the thinking behind that like i said part one of three we'll have the other two out soon enough but kenny's a great guy really really happy to talk to him go down and check out his, his uh his facility they're they're making it they're still making it like they always have and you can go find some of that anytime you want here you go episode 13.
1: All right, uh, Kenny Semkin from Second Wind. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, We got Dan, uh, Brian Watson, the man, the myth, the legend, Brett Mm. here. So yeah, Kenny, again, thanks, thanks for joining us. So we want to just kind of talk about you, talk about Second Wind, uh, talk about the industry in general, and see where this takes us. So, So let's let's kick it off, Kenny, if you can. Just give us a little little history on Second Wind. You know how you guys got started, how you came up with the name. Just give us the the Down and Dirty History of, of Second win. Um, let's
2: set the table. Oh, oh, right, table. Right. Do like forgot. David Copperfield. Like, how does your mom and dad meet? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah,
3: I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> let's set so, the Brian, table. So I'll show what we have here. We are representing with the, the coconut blackout from Second Win. We're going to pour this puppy.
2: We have uh, – uh, 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 Kenny uh, uh, told me uh, 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 a week ago that Berniers had sold – Coconut blackout only to Second Wind itself this batch, so I'm very proud of that. And we only have like eight cans left. It's really good. Look at that. So, that is a fucking so, gorgeous pour. So, so Kenny, to be honest with you, this is
3: the first time having it for me, and it is deli- it's delicious.
4: I'm good, I enjoy it.
3: Very good, very
1: good. All right, Brett. Brett what do Brett, you got? Brett, you got anything?
2: Before I um, I had a few today. Was rather long, and uh, it's it was difficult. So. I started drinking some East Bay, went untold, oh, there you go. and in the spirit of the South Shore, I have a, I don't feel that I need to explain my art you, Warren. Oh, Warren, yeah. from a new, a new one which is a few days old, and I am a, I am about to crack in, which is delicious, by the way, about to crack into a Nordator from Schilling.
3: Very nice. I get that as well.
2: A Northern German style Pilsner, which incidentally, we can talk about this, Kenny, but just like in relationship to the difficulty of selling beers that are not IPAs or New England IPAs, Schilling has reached its own sort of point of drive. It's it's incredible that we can sell a case of German Pilsner in a single day. It's incredible. But anyway, And we'll definitely
3: work. get to that. We'll get to some brewing styles <laughs> and some um, and some beers that we all want more of.
2: Yes,
1: Danny, what do you sure. got? So I am on the second wind train myself. All right, big uh, one. Yeah. Giants. He's got the bruise. It is a bit. It's a big beer, but it's yeah. a. It is a fantastic. I love this beer. It's fantastic. Fantastic mm-hmm. beer. Thank
2: you. So relating to the coronavirus, is that Kenny basically opened the books? To his distro accounts where we could get Parade of Giants, we can get Prince of the Universe, we could get beers that, and at Second Wind's Peril, because we have some people, and I don't, they're not unique to Bernie's necessarily, but customers that are outside of um, Kenny's home market that don't understand that Prince of Darkness or Parade of Giants should not taste like grapefruit. (laughs) And they rate it savagely on untapped, yeah. and that's not fair. Second Wind. We'll get into this, of course, but Second Wind is a very is a relatively small operation that takes big chances on beer styles that they're passionate about, that are hard to make, that require a lot of human power and uh, and logistical expenditure. And for it to be rated, for example, two and a half caps out of five because it doesn't taste like hazy. a hazy juicy IPA, I'm, it's yeah. a risk that. Second Wind's taking that nonetheless serves the market that's, that's loyal right. to, to him and Second mm-hmm. Wind.
3: All right, Kenny, are you, you, you enjoying a beverage right now?
4: Yeah, I actually have a, a nice lineup. So I saw the title for today's episode. I, I have started, I, I am in the uh, South Shore beer across the board here. I don't know. I've got my, my Drowning and Drip from Widowmaker. Oh, um, nice. I may stick with the IPA's nice. play on how we're, we're moving in this this category with a little ecstasy and if not Ooh. Hold, hold. So i got the uh, irish whisper and lager version two yeah
1: so, uh, let's go see how see how things go nice all right cool excellent all right danny why don't we all pick right. it up yeah now that, now that we set the table we'll go back to the question that i jumped right into kenny give us a little history on second wind how you guys got started where you, how you guys came up with the sure. name anything else you'd like to share just kind of how things got going and brought you to where you are cool. today.
4: So uh, there's three partners of Second Wind. It's myself, Hans Turbusch and uh, J.R. Shepherd. The three of us met, and we all live in Plymouth. So at the time we met, Driftwood Public House, New World Tavern had just opened. So Craft Beer was kind of in a...
2: The burgeoning, burgeoning craft beer scene. Yes,
4: burgeoning. So we actually met through Untapped, as much as it's the... Uh, oh, wow. The yelp of, of, of brewery. Um, that's great we had all joined a bottle exchange on facebook sell Shore beer exchange and one of the first things the group did was exchange untap handles and so you'd be at new world tavern drinking kbs and be like oh that guy's drinking it too and you'd realize oh that's jr and i'd go over to driftwood and they've got a jolly pumpkin uh sour stout on and you're like oh that's that must be hans so we ended up just meeting through that uh Hans, an outgoing brewer in that he likes to share his knowledge. So he would bring home brews to restaurants and people would be like, hey, I want to learn how to make a beer. Can I brew with you sometime? And so he, J.R., uh, one of Jr.'s buddies named Sage and a couple other guys had started, uh, informally started a group called the Plymouth Brewerhood. And uh, Scotty, our tapper manager, and I met them at the time that was... Probably they just switched. When the time we started, they just switched from brewing extract to to all grain. So we all started brewing together, and it became a ritual. On Saturdays or Sundays, you get at least five of us together every week, making five gallons of beer that we would, you know, continually perpetuate itself. That we would drink two weeks ago's beer the next time we brewed, and it became a hang. And like I said, we would bring in, you know, guys from the different restaurants would come and brew with us uh, all over the industry. So we involved people in and our passion early on. And so when we, you know, fast forward to where we were launching our wholesale accounts, we built in customers because they knew how we brewed, they knew what to expect. But we were, I I think one of the things I'll say to our credit was just because we were making good homebrew, we didn't want to just jump straight into the game. We knew we didn't have any idea how to run a brewery or know much about the the back end of the industry. So we'd put together an informal plan to figure out how to get some jobs at local breweries. Uh, Hans is a plumber, so he had done the plumbing at Mayflower, and we'd worked there informally helping with events and thought, you know, maybe we can get some some help locally, and that actually ended up being the first foot in the door was Hans had done the plumbing for an Indie Firm on the recommendation of Mayflower to hire him as a plumber and said to Paul Nixon, hey, I'm I'm also a brewer. I'd love to help you out, and so that was the, uh, the first move, so Hans started brewing with Paul. weeks later jr was brewing down there too and by the end of the summer of 2014 all three of us were were brewing at an indie firm in paul's this is back in his at his house not even at camelot drive and he had three guys who were just anxious to learn and we were you know going around town proud of what we were up to and helping them grow accounts and eventually got to the point where we wanted to just you know take things in a different direction and we found the spot on howland street and kind of use that as our our jumping off spot. The name, you asked where the name comes from. At the same time that's all going on and we're working our day jobs, Hans and I also worked. We were the uh, crew that opened the craft beer cellar, Plymouth. So Adam had hired us to help open the store. We worked during the week there, the weekends at the brewery, and then our full-time jobs and still met on the quote-unquote off days to talk about how we're going to open this brewery so as exhausted as we were the passion for our project you know took a second wind in order to get that revitalizing energy yeah. nice. but it's also you know kind of a renaissance for plymouth so we saw there's all this great uh, the the movement on food and, and the this the, the sure. level of gastropubs and craft beverages between the distillery the wineries and we thought hey why can't plymouth ever you know grow to the build a community that would you know, have the draw of like a, a Portsmouth or or Portland, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. so for us, it's the, you know, everything in Plymouth is named after something four hundred years old. So we wanted sure. something fresh, something clean, but also yeah, cool. honors the juxtaposition of the history. So it's kind of a, a mm-hmm. renaissance, a second win, a new energy for for Plymouth in terms of its uh, pure tourists and yeah. Know,
3: that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool story. I like that,
4: and uh, you know, it's, I also
3: I. I also like the label too. I, I think did, you guys did a great job with the label too. I, I think that and, and the recent um, swag that you guys had, the, the eight-spoked eight um, SW, I think is awesome. I want to grab one of those shirts.
4: <laughs> yeah, we actually have a whole new run of them going on right now. So, we oh really? do them really quickly, and yeah, we've got a great. All right, <laughs> I, I may, I may have to ask you to hold me one. Sure. and I'll, I'll come down and grab it.
2: <laughs> I think it. I think it's hard for us to imagine not like I'm from Brockton, you guys are from Bridgewater, and Kenny's from Plymouth. I think it's hard for us to imagine who aren't from Plymouth that in many ways Plymouth is an identity to assume that is it's weightier than where we come from, guys. Sure. It's like so you have Plymouth where in sixteen twenty you had refugees coming over, people willingly not quite willingly moving across the Atlantic I mean going traversing a vast vast ocean to get away from their own homes and you have like from Plymouth sprang colonization for better or worse from here to Springfield Plymouth colonists made it all the way out to Springfield and found the colony out. it wasn't it wasn't the, the Puritans of Boston it was Plymouth Pilgrims who made it all the way out to Springfield in Rhode Island as well some parts of Rhode Island that eventually people from the Roger Williams camp eventually claimed but Plymouth it's interesting that Plymouth i heard it described once as the proudest small town in America where people in Plymouth it's like a center of gravity it's it's it, Massachusetts was eventually politically supplanted by Boston this happened in 1696 when Boston assumed control of the Plymouth colony. It became you know, the Massachusetts Bay right. Colony. But I, I I wager that opening a brewery in Plymouth is at once an opportunity and a, and a challenge. Kenny, may, this is another thing, and I'll be very, very brief because Kenny's the star of the show today. Kenny's tact, his diplomacy is worthy of the United Nations. <laughs> his neighbors, some of them want him to be there and some of them, quite frankly, don't. And The fact that he's able to thrive in an environment that may not – there's some old, old old-time Yankees who don't necessarily want a brewery on Howland Street. And these guys go back to the 1600s. That's the legacy that you had to grow into. You had to deftly sort of maneuver through. And I applaud you for that. It's not just opening a brewery. It's opening a brewery in Plymouth. And downtown, in this whalers district, in this ship captain's district, the Plymouth we see is 150 years newer than the Plymouth that was in 1620. The oldest buildings in downtown Plymouth, aside from the Sparrow House and so forth, a few isolated examples, are from the 1760s, which is 150 years after the town was founded. It's an incredible challenge to try to fit into a town like that. You know, just, just to provide some historical gloss for what you what you undertook. Which
4: We knew the, the heart of – I mean, Plymouth is a huge town with, you know, I don't even know how many different distinct communities. Um, Hans and I live – like, he, he literally lives around – you can see the brewery from his apartment. I live one block away. So we wanted to be in a walking distance to – you know, we've delivered beer on foot to a handful of our, our accounts. We love the, the, the vibe downtown. Yeah,
3: I'll tell you. Even going down, I love going down Plymouth, and and your spot in the summer is great. Like just the vibe on that street is in itself is awesome. People out, you know, having a good time. The summer in Plymouth is fantastic. So, Kenny, you mentioned obviously Mayflower had a huge impact on you guys. Anyone else that you can specifically say had a huge impact on 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 Second Wind, or or is it just is Mayflower kind of that driving force that you guys all kind of gravitated to at the beginning and yeah, I mean, it's
4: Mayflower and Indie Firm, because I, I, I will speak to, uh, yeah. like, even when we were getting going, we had the name, we were trying to work out the logo. Thank you for the, the compliment. I mean, that was not an easy task for us. That was the one thing we could not agree on. I can't imagine, no. And we actually hired a design firm, and we met them at Mayflower because Drew was uh, kind of opened the doors to us. He knew what we were doing. Every Friday, we would meet there at 5 o'clock throughout the winter and let us use their staff room, he and Sarah, and just access to them any questions we had so uh we definitely consider drew among our uh, board of advisors uh informally so mayflower for sure uh indy firm paul helped us kind of get our hands around all the the dirt and grime of the it's not just the brewing it's the the, the cleaning and the, the cold side maintenance and cellaring and things like that that's really really where i focused since the other guys were focused on on brewing and a lot of what you know what to do, what not to do. We kind of decided how we wanted to formulate. Shortly thereafter, we got going in 2017. We started brewing and our first beer was at the Hopfest Memorial Hall in 2017. That was our first introduction to Ryan and the crew at Widowmaker. We didn't really know him very well, but he'd lent himself you know access to him in terms of questions he was having about six months ahead of us on everything. So when I wanted to get the variants for our gas piping for the the burners approved. And joking with him that we thought we'd be open by a certain time, he's like, "There's no way." And he was right. You know, so he's he's always to this day, you know, one of my best friends has helped us in more. We just, you know, as you guys know, this week just moved their old brew house into our brewery. Yeah, um,
3: yeah, yeah.
4: They've helped us with uh, so many different things. We we give each other around the south shore. I think that that bond. Somebody needs. 44 pounds of a hop or a couple bags short on something else. You know, we've, we've all got each other on speed dial. So ultimately I think that's helped, you know, having between uh, my daily conversations with, with Ryan and and Kyle from Untold, we've, we've definitely created uh, a really, really unique, you know, you don't see like the top restaurant chefs sitting around comparing ideas for their new recipes and how they're going to launch different things and you know, new labels and things like that, you know, hopefully not breaking a trust, but like some of the new labels we make uses like yeah. run them by us. And, and likewise, we run ideas, names and things, so. Sure.
3: sure. That, that's one thing I, I love about that, that show beer scene is, is it seems like you guys are, are all tight and, and you guys, it's like a symbiotic kind of relationship and you guys are all just kind of benchmarking off each other and I, i'd be willing to bet you probably wouldn't disagree you're always challenging each other and, and to make the better beer and, and to kind of push each other which i think is just fantastic you know because it's uh, the, the consumer the consumer is the one that, that benefits from it
1: you know? well, and you see it right like so you have a what you would assume to be competitive relationship because you guys are technically competitors of one another but the reason in my opinion outside of the fantastic beer the reason that that this particular industry has thrived and, and exploded in Massachusetts over the past few years is the fact that everyone's kind of helping each other move along, right? Like if no one's, the guys aren't competing against each other necessarily. You're, everyone's helping each other out and pushing each other forward, pushing each other up. And it's, you know, you guys are being challenged to make better beers because you know, the guys on the street that you're friends, they're making great beers. And they're saying, Hey, we, we learned this today. And we're telling you that. So you don't make that mistake. And everyone's kind of working together as if, Divisions of the same company, almost right, and just pushing the scene forward. It's the consumers are the ones that benefit from it, right? Because you just it's just better beer, and it's more available, and it's and it's it's fantastic. It's great to see, and it's it's amazing just to watch guys that are literally opening competing businesses in the same industry. Just talk about like, yeah, no, it's you know they're they're my best friends, and we talk all the time, and we share ideas. It's amazing. It's great. Yeah. It's it, makes it a lot of fun that. for
4: like that's. So. I'm I'm not joking. Like,
1: I talked to someone from that group
4: multiple times a day. There's no day that goes by awesome. that it doesn't start and end with a conversation with one of the other owners or brewers in the in this in the South Shore Beer Group. I think it's cool too because they're not all. We're not all trying to do the same thing. You definitely have some some traditionalists, some some fringe and and envelope pushing. You know, the, the Venn diagram in the middles, sure, we all try to make couple styles that we know market well. But it's exciting to see, like, the consumer, as you say, benefits. I think the consumer can also find the their niche. You know, sure. when you were talking about the, the ratings earlier, Brett, it's less so on, say, the Scotch Ale or the the Belgian uh, Dark Strong, Strong Dark, yeah, the, the Quad. Uh, it, it's, like, more so on our, our traditional cream ale. But we have people, that's the, that's their go-to beer. They love the fact that it's the most yeah. no-frills, unassuming uh, lawnmower beer, and that's what they love about it. Prior to this pandemic shutting down the tap room, we, we just, a pour was a pour, and a four-pack was a four-pack. We didn't necessarily do the SKU-level data mining, but now that we are have an online store, we have to keep inventory. We see what's actually moving. It's amazing the days that DadBot sure. competes with Correlation or when to change, and and you know we're running out of we've we think oh we'll just you know have enough because we're we're canning on demand right now so or or canning to to make inventory for a couple of days and then you guys missed it Hans actually, actually walked in here we were trying to figure out how to squeeze him in but he actually he, he just came back from <laughs> from home and he's he's back canning more beer now so it's funny though that we're trying yeah. to every day pinpoint what's going to be hot and. I mean, damn! It, if we don't sell through a ton of oak Age Scotch ale on a day, we thought all we we're going to do is sell IPAs. So,
3: well, it's funny. So, it's funny, Kenny, because it leads into some of our other questions too, and, and it's it's perfect. Like, I, I when I hear the word cream ale, and, and and that and that's what we're trying to do here. Um, that's why we kind of went with beyond IPAs. Everyone loves a good hazy IPA. Everyone loves the, you know the IPAs, the Northwest, you know the 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 West Coast style, the East Coast style, the, you know the heady, you know all the OGs and all that. That's great, but. I don't know if a general consumer, when they hear cream ale, really understands what that is. I, I, vitamin C just made a cream ale with, with Bissell, and it was fantastic. And but but it's like, did they sell it as quickly as an IPA? I'm I'm not sure they did, but it was a fantastic brew. It's funny like that. I I just don't know if people or the the kind of common consumer gets exactly what they're buying, and and that's why you know I I love having love doing this because I think it's the education of, of um, Dad you know, people a, that may not know.
4: Dad our, our cream ale was the output of a restaurant situated on a golf course. They wanted something that people could just come in and crush something light. They wanted a lager and they asked for it in the summer. There's no way we could take at the time. I think we only have four or five fermenters. So we said, we can't do that, but maybe we could do a cold or a cream ale. And yeah, we shot for Bud Light alternative, you know, PBR in mind when we were making. It's, it's not a big secret that brewers often drink, you know, fears yeah, that it's funny. beer snobs will turn their nose down. But yeah, you know, you will find Hans drinking uh, Miller High Life. You'll find me and JR drinking PBR when we are you know out in the wild. And and that's the one we wanted dad thought to be <laughs> the next closest thing we could get to those clean, crisp, the macro beers of our fathers.
1: Well, and, and they say like, if you're going to, if you're brewing, right, if you want to test how good of a brewer you are, brew cream ale. Because there's nothing, any imperfections in the brew process are going to come through in that beer. So can't can't hide it. Can't, can't hide it. I mean, it's a
4: prohibition era style beer that had corn and rice in it. Like yeah. more more usually corn than yep. rice. We we actually tried both. We did a blend, and then ours is mostly six row and, and rice. It's a simple, you know, it's it's an adjunct recipe on on an ale, on an ale yeast. Uh, sure.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Okay, that's a wrap for part one of our interview with Ken Semkin from Second Wind thanks to Ken for uh, spending time with us and thanks everyone for listening Uh, we have a part two and a part three coming out if they're they're not out already in part two we're going to talk about professional aspects of being a brewer being a local brewer a small operation some of the details that go into that please join us for that one as well in part three we, we get into more about the different beers we like and so if you like the show, please uh, visit our website, check us out on Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. Leave us a like, subscribe, you know the drill. So, all right, thank you.